0: Welcome to Burrows and Burbs with hosts John Engel and Roberto Cabrera. Over the next hour, you're going to learn some insider knowledge that will help you overcome and strategize in the cutthroat world of real estate. Now, here are your hosts, John and Roberto.
1: 3 I'm your host, John Engel in Connecticut, and that's my co-host.
0: Yeah, I am Roberto Cabrera on the Upper West Side
1: of Manhattan. All right, world headquarters, Manhattan, and today we are talking insurance, particularly coastal insurance, we're talking commercial insurance, we're talking about the entire big picture of insurance and the trends going on today. I've got two special guests, let me pull up my share screen, and let's see, first I've got Nick, Nick Phillips of Goosehead Insurance, and I've got Chris Martens of Assured Partners. But before we begin, I want to just thank my, the folks over at Grace Farms, sharegracefarms.com. They've got uh, the Design for Freedom initiative, and on March 26, they're going to be hosting a conference on Design for Freedom and trying to clean up um, uh, forced labor in the building supply industry. So please come join them for that. And in the meantime, you can buy their coffees and teas, their sips and drips at sharegracefarms.com. And without any further ado, uh, I want to introduce you to Nick Phillips. Say hello and tell us a
2: little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Nick Phillips. Uh, I'm a uh, PNC um, insurance agent. I own an agency located in Darien, Connecticut called Goosehead Insurance it's a small boutique agency um, we um, we do most of the service servicing ourselves so I'm not just a salesperson but I'm also a service agent um, that helps me get to know the clients better and understand their needs as a risk manager not just an insurance agent but as a risk manager um, and um, yeah we uh, we um, will help issue policies all over the country it's mostly personal lines a little bit of commercial but I focus really on Uh, personal lines.
1: All right. Thanks. And Chris
3: Martens, what do you do and where are you from? Sure. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on, by the way. I appreciate it, John. I appreciate it, uh, Nick, and I appreciate it, Roberto. So again, my name is Chris Martens. I'm a vice president at Assured Partners. I think currently we're probably the ninth or 10th largest insurance brokerage uh, here in the United States. And we handle everything uh, from large commercial property um, employee benefit programs, retirement services. And we also do personal insurance, which encompasses, you know, private client, high net worth, life insurance, disability, and long-term care. So I'm based out of, I live in Norwalk, Connecticut, and I'm currently sitting in Assured Partners Shelton, Connecticut office.
0: Can I ask you guys a question right off the bat? Who One thousand, Yeah. Who, who, who? are your clients, the insurer or the insuree? Well,
3: like, who do you guys work for? That's, it's, a, it's a great question. Fundamentally, fundamentally, it's a great question, right? Because we, our clients, right, are the end users, right? They're either the, the, the companies or the individuals, right? But at the same time, we're also agents to the insurance company, right? We're appointed agents to the insurance company. So we kind of serve a dual capacity, um, not to give kind of a long winded answer, but we do, we do kind of report, but ultimately we report to the client. That's who we represent.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're fiduciaries for both sides. We're just the middle person. The insurance carriers allow us to do most of their work and to issue policies on their behalf. And so we've got to be compliant and good fiduciaries for both
3: sides of the formula.
0: So you're a bit of an arbiter.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. We're an intermediary right between the end user and the insurance carrier.
1: This is our third show. And I I do want to address how is it going to be different? Because we did the first one on uninsurable Florida. And we talked about specifically Florida, specifically the fact that carriers were leaving the state, that there was a high incidence of fraud, and we were uh, anxious about the trend in Florida. We did another show on insurance, and then you two reached out to me and said, you know what, there's still more to be said about insurance. And so really, this is uh, an opportunity to talk about insurance more broadly than just uninsurable Florida, because apparently it's not just Florida's problem, is what I think you guys have been trying to make me understand. And uh, so I opened up the very first slide I found. Uh, I don't know. Can you see it? Is it up? No. 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 All right. Is it up now? Yes. Okay, up. There it is. <clears throat> so I started thinking about, yeah, we've got this climate risk, number four, and a focus on sustainability. And there's been a lot of uh, ink spilled, a lot of uh, talk about climate risk and the storms in Florida. We talk about the storms and the coastal insurance. But I think it's also pointing to this widening trust gap in an uncertain world rapidly evolving customer needs and preferences, uh, increasingly digital and AI-driven world. I want to get to some of those. And so I'll begin by saying, uh, why is this not just a coastal problem? Why is this not just a Florida problem? Uh, why Why is this important to the folks in a New York City condo? Because the New York City condo, is not got a flood, flood risk, I don't think, a hurricane risk, I don't think. So
3: why should they care? Nick, you mind if I kind of take the, go, go take the response it. here? Well, listen, uh, there's a couple different, you different know, things to point out here, John, right? And, and one thing that was left off of the graphic that you showed, right? And, and, and I know it's not yours, so I'm comfortable saying this, but there was no mention of inflation. Okay. And 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 honestly, if you kind of widen out the lens, right? That's the main driver of, of most of the upward pressures that we're seeing in the insurance industry everywhere. Okay? And and if you kind of look at any any claim, right? There's, you know, there's there's labor, there's materials, right? There's there's a time element to a claim. The longer a claim takes, the more expensive it's going to be. There's also right everyone forgets too that um, that there's two parts to uh, a property and casualty insurance policy. right? The first part's the property which everybody thinks about. And the second part's the casualty, right? The duty to defend, the legal defense within a property and casualty policy. Legal defenses are not getting cheaper. jury rewards are not getting smaller and, and settlements are not getting cheaper either. So there's just insurance
1: is getting more expensive than inflation. The budget just submitted here in New Canaan, the budget went up six percent because the insurance costs went up sixteen percent. That's right. So I would say that we can't just blame insurance
3: inflation for our insurance problems. Insurance is a pass through mechanism. Okay, so the costs that come into insurance company, right? They've got their own inflationary pressures right they just those are just getting passed through keep in mind insurance is regulated at the state level okay so we've got 50 different insurance markets in this con- in this country right and they've all got their different nuances and they're all regulated by different departments of insurance okay now if you want to sell insurance in the United States you have to apply and get approved by that department of insurance commissioner you have to file your forms and your rates and every time that you want to raise rates you have to apply for a rate increase, right? So these are being approved by the Departments of Insurance, okay? They're not getting approved fast enough. So there is a lag effect, right? But it is driven by inflation. All yes.
2: that's, I mean, that's one part in in what I think is a three-part formula, right? The other, the second part is frequency of claims being filed. There are more claims being filed these days than probably ever before. It's unclear why. I mean, the hokey answer is that People are home more often because they're working from home, so they're driving more. You drive more, you get into accidents. Maybe, I don't know, we built all these homes in the 80s and 90s, and so those are 30-year-old groups, so maybe they're starting to leak now. Um, but the biggest problem is, so that's so Chris was talking about uh, severity of the claim, the cost of the claim. I just talked about frequency of claim, the number of claims. And the third is that most of these carriers, they basically outsource the risk on their balance sheet. Right. So it goes to the reinsurers. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not a regulated market. So when these carriers uh, put the risk onto Hanover Re or Lloyds of London, they can raise rates 100%. Whereas our carriers can only raise 20%. So their loss ratios are sideways right now. Yeah. And so they're doing whatever they can to limit new business or current business. Let me
0: is Is the industry, Am I wrong? Is the industry not expanding and having like record profits? I think Chubb made $6 billion in profits. Is that what I heard for last year alone? I mean, are they saving for a rainy day or like that's a lot of money?
3: Well, you know, I think there's, you know, there's also multiple parts, right? And and not to go too, too far down the rabbit hole. I want to try to keep this high level. But, it, but if you think about it, right, there's two parts of of insurance companies' earnings, right? There's underwriting income, right? And then there's investment income, okay? so And there's also multiple lines of business too, right? Chubb writes life accident and health insurance. They write large commercial, they do reinsurance, right? They do more lines of business than, than what we more uh, mostly think about with homeowners and auto insurance. So it's not really driven by, like I said, a condo policy in New York or someone's beach house out in the Hamptons, or again, their, their auto insurance in, in Connecticut per se. Right. There's a lot of other factors that go into uh, an insurance company's profits on an a quarterly and annual basis there.
0: I think the frequency of claims is people are say, I pay so much, might as well get them to pay for it. Well, I mean, mean do, you- do you like our business? Every <laughs> industry has a little bit of a branding problem. Like we're real estate brokers, people have all their, you know, I think you guys have a little bit of a branding issue in the sense that. You know, people see you for the most part, you sell them, the, you know, you sell them, you renew them, and then it's at the claim and there's kind of nothing in between and it's just getting more and more expensive. I was just looking at my insurance costs from 2020 to this year, three years, 42% increase.
1: And, and, and the rest of your life is not going up uh, as fast and therefore there's a distrust Right now, there's a problem of trust, and I understand that Lloyd's of London jacked up the rates, and I understand that Chubb can't can't respond in turn. And down in Florida, and jack up their rates without getting permission from state government, so they pull out of the Florida market as a response. So one thing I'm hearing is that we've got a legal issue, a regulatory issue that we're not able to respond in this regulatory environment. As fast as um, uh, in a 24 7, 365 marketplace, we've got to be more responsive on our pricing because our reinsurers are more are, are reflective of the real cost and changing their prices in real time. Yeah. So th- we have th- a regulatory problem.
3: Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's multiple parts and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to blame the regulators, right? Because we we love all our regulators here in the industry, right? But uh, (laughs) no, but if you think about it, right, insurance companies currently, and and I'm not having sympathy for insurance companies, don't get me wrong, right? Um, But there, you know, two parts, there is kind there is a crisis of confidence, right? You know, because I'm a consumer of insurance myself, okay? And when you don't have a claim, it feels like a second or third tax, right? You, You there's nothing that you get for what you pay for, correct? And 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 every year it's like you go back to zero. You get a new bill. Whether you paid for 20 years, you didn't have a claim, it doesn't matter in the next six months. It doesn't. Because every year you're basically renewing this option. It's a financing option, is what it is. You're financing a, a claim, is what it is. A potential claim is what it is. You're paying a small amount. We're all paying a small amount into a pool for a potentially larger claim that we can't afford, right, at the time of claim, okay? Now, going back to the insurance companies, again, I'm not being sympathetic to them or empathetic to them, but they're getting squeezed on both sides, and the result is that they're either pulling out of certain states, right? California's another one where you saw significant carrier pullback, right? And there's a term that I talked to Nick a couple months ago that I think he kind of coined was you know we've got a crisis of capacity also in the insurance industry right where the reinsurers are are deciding that they don't want to reinsure certain geographies in the country right coastal's one of them and wildfires the other right they're deciding that this is not where they want to commit their capital to now so that gets more expensive on the back end for insurance companies on the front end their claims are getting more expensive right you have the proverbial $3000 bumpers now $13000 because of expense because of sensors so they're getting squeezed they also have more inflation on their employee costs their rent their health insurance right so it's 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 kind of a almost a perfect storm for them and it's resulting in higher rates ongoing the other thing is
2: that in a in a typical or normalized market right um, there's always a carrier who is willing to um, give price to win market share. So pre-COVID, right, you could be quoting across. Let's just take the best of breed carriers, right? Chubb, Pure, AIG, maybe Cincinnati, and one of them at any given time would be would be 20, 30 percent lower. And so the idea is, yes, to reshop every two or three years. Um, that that spread that ARB has really, you know, compressed in in the current market. Um, why? So, because they're lo- they're, all of their loss ratios are, are stressed because they're all seeing these things that Chris is talking about.
3: And we also, you know, keep in mind too, if, you, if we look back at say 20, oh, 2017, right? In the high net worth or high value specialty carrier space, we had seven carriers. And there was others that were looking to get into the space. Currently, we're down to four, right? Historically, we had AIG, Berkeley, Chubb, Cincinnati, nationwide private client, pure and vault. Okay. We're down to four now. So, do you see how the space is shrinking? The capacity, the amount of capital that's out there is shrinking. And it's, you know, as we know, when there's less competition, that means higher prices for consumers, unfortunately. So, here's a
1: graph showing you talked about 2017. 2017 is here. It it looks like it's going up. what, what, the number of billion dollar yeah. disaster events has actually gone down in the last 3 years and yet the average cost of us home insurance it it's a pretty it's a pretty um um even uh trajectory i mean it's not spiky like the the number of disasters the average cost of us home insurance is just going up and up and up and it's going mm-hmm. at the same uh, trajectory as it did a decade ago.
3: And I think what this is ultimately going to lead to, right. And and one thing, you know, Nick and I were kind of chatting this morning and, you know, I don't, you know, I, let me back up a little bit. I was talking to Lance Lambert. He's over at residential club, right? He recently split out and, you know, he's kind of talked about, you know, insurance shocks in, in some, um, I would say uh, metropolitan residential markets. I don't know if that's the correct term, um, I think it's, we're going to have kind of this this almost, I hate to use the term, but, but new normal a little bit. I don't think we're going to see a spike up in prices and they're going to come back down. I think what we're going to see uh, ongoing and, and for the next few years is kind of elevated pricing for insurance on, on a whole, right? Um, and I think what what this is, is this is going to cause a shift in how- how consumers look at insurance how they look at risk management right i think they're they're going to look at how they how they uh, fa- you know view claims right is this a claim i want to file is this something i want to pay out of pocket right and this is where it's risk tolerance risk management people are going to look at at where their attachment points are right do they have the financial wherewithal to have a $25,000 deductible does it make sense do they get you know, a dollar for dollar or two to $3 reduction in premium for the risk that they're going to take on by virtue of its deductible. So I think, again, I think you're going to have a, a, a basically a shift to how people look at insurance going forward. And I think you're going to see how insurance companies are going to uh, adjust to that too. Right. Does so the insurance, to, can the yeah.
0: insurance company through data
3: assist a
0: consumer from, say, uh, making a claim in the sense that they have, you know, I have a thirty-five hundred dollar, you know, disaster in my house. Whatever, and should I put this claim in? And if I do, my my premium, I see where it, I see exactly where it's going to go. And do I make that? You know what? I'm just going to pay for this, and therefore, so that assists me in not charging it back to the insurance company. Well,
3: and and, and I think I'd love to say yes, Roberto. But kind of here's the issue, right? Are we talking about a, a property claim? Are we talking about a liability claim, right? We can look at the beginning, right? Let's say if we, and I'll try to give some anecdotal things, right? Let's say if you have a water loss um, in, in a condo in New York City, right? And you kind of, you know, you, you, have a, you have a contractor come out to the condo and you're like, yeah, I think this is going to be, I don't know, maybe $10,000 or it's going to be $25,000, Right you're like, okay, $25,000. I got a $5,000 deductible. Yeah. You know what? Let's follow this claim. Well, you start peeling back the walls and now you find out, oh my God, the floors are getting warped, right? And because the broad contract, the broad language of a Chubb contract, they have to redo all the floors. Now this is turning into a maybe a $250,000 claim. So I don't know if any insurance company at, you know, right off the bat is going to say, hey, this is going to translate into X. And that's just on the property side, Roberto. What if it's, this is a liability claim, right? Where you're, you know, now the water damage has gone into the apartment below you. And what if the water's now gone down the walls and there's artwork on the wall? This could turn into a $2 million claim, right? So I don't, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's as easy as kind of putting things on an, an Excel spreadsheet. Well, I would love to do that. Trust me, we get these questions all the time. But I think kind of going back to what Nick said originally in in, in the show was, you know, a lot of the the, the functions that we do, right? We're not just toll collectors, so to speak. We don't just kind of say, okay, you know, here's your policy, you know, pay us the premium. We're going to take our commission and we're not going to do anything all year. There's a lot of claims advocacy that's involved, right? As part of a high net worth insurance broker or agent, right? The, The policies, really the insurance programs that we manage for for successful individuals and families they require constant constant change review it's it's not really a set it and forget it but that's part of what we do also is kind of advocating for the client for the claim for the client
1: So you've set up a scenario where we've gone from seven, you've described a situation where we've gone from seven carriers to the big four and the big four are under stress right now. So they're not offering uh, incentives in order to win market share. I understand that. That's the current situation, but it's still a competitive market and they're not gonna sit on their hands forever. They're looking for ways to innovate in order to be more competitive, um, and one of the uh, one of the things that keeps coming out in the in the articles that we read is that they're gonna they're looking to technology as a way to uh, mitigate claims, uh, get in front of uh, these disasters, and just to rattle off a couple. But they're looking at AI, they're looking at robotics, they're using drones, they're trying to use sensors in my house, even my antique house here, out here in Connecticut, yeah. I've got sensors at the sump pump. I've got yeah. fire sensors, I've got smoke sensors. And <laughs> as a realtor, I'm more sensi- sensitive than ever before that when I sell a house, it's gotta have all these sensors and they've all gotta be yeah. uh, able to make a phone call to my alarm company. I think that that's just one example where the insurance company says, we know that we can't just keep raising rates, that at a certain point, the public says enough. So we've got to give the customer uh, the technology tools, and we've got to basically get the data so that we make better decisions going forward. Can we talk about innovation generally in the insurance business and how we're using it to kind of cut costs?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is called mitigation strategy and it's and it's proactive. And these carriers are now being much more forceful with um, new business and underwriting new business, right? Before it was, I can write a policy in five minutes, check, check the boxes. Now these carriers are demanding more from the home buyer or home owner. And remember, when you buy a house or when you change carriers, they're going to send out an inspector. And these inspectors are super diligent and nitpicky these days. They're looking under the hood. They're looking in the attic. They're looking in the basement for water stains. Again, they're looking for reasons to basically say no to you because they don't need you right now.
1: Um, But yes, a few minutes before the show, you said they also look at Google earth to see if I have a trampoline in my backyard. And Ah, I thought, Oh my
2: God, that's diligence. It's not very expensive to do that. And you're right. So, so, you know technology is flattening the world so so it works both ways you could put sensors on your floor you can have an automatic water shut off system that's attached to a central alarm station that's all very 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 good and it helps but on the other side yeah they're looking at you big brother is looking and um, it, it, it kind of the door swings both ways on that go on so should, I wet well, <laughs> should i let them well should i let them into my life would you what? lower your would you lower your auto policy premium by 30% if you allowed them to track where you drove, how fast you drove, and if you stopped properly at every single stop sign? Not John. And <laughs> and and by the way, so you could save 30% if you're a good driver, but if they determine you're a bad driver, they can raise your rate 30%. So do you want that? Do you want them to know your you're driving acumen, like how good of a driver you are or your teenager
1: some would say that that accountability will make us better
3: drivers yeah, yeah. oh yeah and and you are seeing this in other areas of insurance also say in, in life insurance right you mm-hmm. know I, uh John hancock has a i think it's called vitality vitality program right where they will they will lower your premiums if you've exercised and you've accumulated a certain amount of points. I think with their program, you can't, your premium can't get worse than a certain level, but you can. You, there is upside there. But again, you're opening yourself up, right? I, are, I don't you, know if, are you seeing a trend where
1: consumers trust the system and are opening themselves up to more sensors
3: and more data? If the price gets to a certain point, yes.
2: Yeah, so that's based on price, yeah. not necessarily um, mitigating any future claim. It is how do I keep my rates as low as possible? Right.
1: And are is that customer directed to the. When I get uh, my new quote this year for insurance and I say, oh my God, it's gone up 15%, I can't afford that. Are we finding that in response to rising rates, customers are asking, what can I do? Or are the insurers say, offering? Incentive programs with the new rates.
3: I think it's yes. probably a combination of both. Yes, right. I think I think they're saying, "Hey, you know, here's the the new rates on your renewal. If you want to reduce them by fifteen percent, we have this telematics, right? This app that you can put on your phone that you know that will give us access to your your braking, your accelerating, and all that that fun stuff." Yeah, yeah.
2: But here's the thing: is people. People, um, they they can do the math, right? They can say the percentage, the probability of my house burning down is less than 1%. So why would I spend an extra $3,000, right? On some fancy alarm system to help prevent something like that only to save, say, 4% a year on, on insurance, right? There's a qualitative formula there and there's a quantitative formula there. Right it's all about um, it's all about um, h- how long it would take for your house to burn down over a number of years and you divide that by what you're saving um, but just to get back to your original question what
0: probability of people make one decision over the other from your experience is it about 50/50
2: There are some nervous Nellies who always want to go with Chubb because that's best to breed, sleep well at night, right? It's that famous expression, like they'll chase you down the street to give you a check, okay? But Chubb is really expensive, so people people are like, all right, soccer ball goes to the window. I can fix my own window. I can learn learn about it on the internet, right? But so are I'll those people
0: deductible. are those people in the minority, such that people so the companies that offer maybe you know crappier insurance but it's cheaper are actually getting a lot of market share and they're like these people don't even care it's just cheap and they just keep renewing so that we're that's you know we're getting you know we're winning
2: i, I mean i'll let chris opine here but all i would say is is these are low probability events but when it happens to you it's 100 percent probability and i have seen people save millions of dollars right because they were with one of the Best breed carriers, yeah. especially in New York City, when water's—I mean, going up and down, right, right. I mean, yeah. water damage I, in New York City is is horrible.
3: Yeah, it's you know, and again, it's 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 easy, it's easy for us to kind of you know um, talk about this, right? Because this is kind of what we do on a daily basis, right? But you know, I think there's such a a, um, a misperception out there, right, that an insurance policy is an insurance insurance policy, is right. And that couldn't be the first furthest thing from the truth, Roberto. Um, every policy has Brand, different branding problem, branding problem, <laughs> education problem. And you know what? I'm, I, I I'll, I'll be honest. And, and I try to be a steward for the industry. Okay. For the insurance industry. Okay. I, I'm not going to, I never cut down someone's insurance company. I don't, I don't talk negatively about other agents and, 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 you know, I try to, you know, uh, really respect relationships. But what I try to do is, is be an ambassador and, and, and try to elevate you know my industry. And I will tell you guys, point blank, we do a terrible job of education. Okay. We do a terrible job of educating clients and the public about the importance and the differences of insurance policies, forms, language, right? Because we've been trained We've been trained by the consumer to get them the cheapest one. Well, frankly, there's a, you know, it's not insurance isn't rocket science, right? If something is cheaper in the insurance industry, most likely there's something either limiting coverage, excluding coverage, or there's language that's not necessarily in the insured's favor. Okay? And that's really the, some of the main differences really between insurance carriers is the language of their contract. Right, the broadness of their contract, sublimits, exclusions, you know, et cetera. So I think we need to do a better job of helping people understand. But but to go back to it also, it's really risk management, right? How are you? How are you? You know, the, I was kind of writing some notes down, and I hope I'm not going off on too much of a tangent here. But you know, there's really kind of three use, three reasons to use insurance. Okay, and I, I tried to choose those words carefully, right? Number one is statutorily. Okay. Are you mandated to have insurance? Workers' compensation, auto liability. There's a couple of reasons, right? You're you're statutorily mandated to have this insurance. Contract, contractually required. A mortgage, right? You're contractually required to have homeowners insurance or potentially flood insurance. Or if you're a vendor or subcontractor, you might need cyber insurance, commercial general liability. And then the third one, as Nick kind of mentioned a little bit. Risk tolerance and financial wherewithal, right? What's your appetite for risk retention? And we need to make this conversation. If it's not necessarily about the first two, and they haven't, we need to have this conversation with the client. Like, what's your risk tolerance? Have we done any modeling? Have we done any risk mitigation? Why do you want the insurance, right? Why? What are the different kinds? If someone's more at risk and they don't, you know, they're fine with a with a, a less comprehensive policy. Yeah, let's do that, but let's make sure that they understand all the differences between these policies and insurance companies because there are massive differences. Right.
2: Yeah, and most most good agents will will spend the time, you know, on like the discovery call and go over all that. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's done on an annual basis. It's better if it's done on a semi annual basis just to see if anything has changed. Um, um, but John, getting back to your question about technology, I just want to like kind of the bow on that one there is there is a, a market with an insurance that has changed i thought i think dramatically in the last you know 10 and 15 and 20 years and that's the, the flood market right i mean historically it was everything was based on a two-dimensional map but now with satellite imaging uh forecasting you know temperature climate climate awareness um there's there's a lot more technology that's that's used to go into um, rating a risk and that's why we've seen so many more private carriers in the flood market come in, whereas it used to be mostly FEMA, right? FEMA's now, I don't know, probably 75 or 82% of the market when it used to be in the nineties.
1: And, and so how does that translate, practically speaking? Take an island like Nantucket, are they saying, well, in the old days we would just look down at Nantucket and we would determine how, what's your elevation, how far away are you from the water? But now we're going to treat the west end of the island differently than maybe the east end of the island. Uh, I'm just picking an island, you know, could be any island. But um, are you saying now they look at Sconset and they say, oh, well, that's very high up on the cliffs and, you know, and yet downtown is prone to flooding. Do they do it mathematically over the risk of flooding over the last 50 years? Or are they saying, oh, we got to throw away a lot of those models based on climate change and uh, and start over?
3: Um. I think they're throwing the models out. <laughs> yeah. I think the yeah. private flood insurance market really kind of forced really forced the um forced the hand, right? Because the private flood insurance market, they they were using computer models years ago. Right. And and that was kind of what what forced you know the national flood insurance program to implement risk rating 2.0, which took place probably at this point, I think two years ago. Right. And and risk rating 2.0. You know, introduces lidar, which, please, I'm, I'm, I I couldn't explain it to to you. Um, But what it does is it kind of, it allows, um, it allows almost a a, an individual risk, an individual house to be rated on its own uh, um, parameters, so to speak, right? And and it did change some functions and it made things, but again, it made some pricing better, and it made some pricing worse, right? We used to have almost a flat price for everybody in this, let's call it an A flood zone, right? Everyone kind of had the same rate. You're all lumped into that almost kind of class designation, so to speak. And now it kind of made it a little bit more individualized. Again, on a whole, still collecting probably the, the same premium, but it's more on an individual basis now. So there I is technology affecting it. I
1: you. want that. If I drive the minivan, I don't want this to be paying the same rate as the guy with the Corvette. If I've got a brand new foundation on the coast, yes I want it, I want my rate to reflect that well, I have a higher elevation better you know 200 mile an hour windows, not goodness. like Roberto's mm-hmm. you know 1920s house with uh, you
3: know <laughs> rickety shutters and and that's what you're seeing, right the insurance yeah. industry right by use of data technology and they are starting to almost I would say individually rate versus kind of blanket rating, right? And and, and again, some people are, are seeing better results and some people are starting to see worse, right? And that was kind of, you know, to go back to Florida, right? What you're seeing now is if a house is built, say 2012, 2015 and, and newer, yeah, they can get insurance. It's not going to be cheap, but they can get it. Homes built before 2004, right? Because Florida's got the Florida Building Code, which has been updated twice and probably going to be updated again anything built before that's not up to code right and that if you if you look right and i'm going to go back to uh, i think it was maybe hurricane michael the one that went through mexico beach in the panhandle right and i remember reading a great story i think it was in the new york times about an uncle and his nephew that had built a house um i think it was in mexico beach right it was the only house standing the only one and they talked about how they, with the contractor, had really kind of gone above and beyond. They said they wanted, you know, two hundred mile an hour windows. They said build the roofs, and it shows how 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 resilient building in the Florida building code paid off. And I think that's what we're going to start to see here up in the Northeast, right? It's it's starting to happen. Is that we have to rebuild the housing stock, and the insurance industry or certain pricing is going to kind of force us to do it. See,
1: this is the key. I mean,
3: we we attract a lot
1: of realtors to this show. And when we had the Vero Beach show and we had Sally Daly on and we said, how's, you know, how's the market in Vero Beach? Oh, you know, there's no inventory. Well, what have you got? She said, I have an antique and it's sitting on the water and it's, it's, it's down 20%. And I said, why? And the insurance market in Florida is affecting real estate prices
2: Profoundly, I- <laughs> so so so. Chris has always said, Chris Martens. I'll give him credit for the past two years. He goes, Coastal Connecticut is is turning into Florida. Mm. Go- wow! I, listen, Co-
3: I've got some other predictions. I don't know if we want to go down this road, but yeah, no, we're pretty- going to get there. We're going to get there. <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear, it, Roberto, but yeah, we'll go down there. It's and it's and Coastal Connecticut
2: means Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, Rhode Island, Long Island, New York City. By the way. Southampton, Um, like South. Yeah. (laughs) All of Long Island. Like, you know, we, um, I was just, I was just quoting for a client of mine in Vero beach. They're paying $6,000 a year in home insurance, right? In nine, in 2019, the rate right now is $21,675. Okay. They've got a pool. Where is this? Where was that? Sorry. In Vero beach, there's a pool, right? But there's no fence around the pool. They're not allowed to have a fence. Because it goes against the conduit or the you know the the associations rules. So what do you do? They don't rent it out. If they did, their insurance carrier would drop them because they're not allowed to rent it. So, the so I do think also, and like we do a ton of work, ton of um, policies in Myrtle Beach, you know, Savannah, all the way down to Florida, um, um, Hilton Head too. I mean the Hilton Head market. That's all um, ENS, which is surplus or not admitted. Right? No traditional carriers are down there,
3: and so oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry.
2: Yeah. No. So I. Th- so both Chris and I believe that coastal Connecticut is turning into Florida, which means we're going to be uh, issuing and and you know talking about more of the
3: ENS market type of policies. And just want to back. Does it? Does it, Does everyone understand? What Nick means when he's talking about the NS market, the excess and surplus lines. Okay, and this is why I kind of said we need we need to do a better job, right? So, <laughs> we in, in in right. So, remember I said the United Insurance in, in the United States is regulated at the state level, right? So, we've got fifty different insurance markets. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a little bit more confusing for you guys. Okay, there is also a parallel market. Okay, that exists exists outside the authorization of the state departments of insurance. Okay, and that's called the excess and surplus lines market, right? So it's not regulated, it's not approved in the states. Okay, it's not; it doesn't have the protections of, of say, the state insurance funds if 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 an insurer fails, but that's extremely highly unlikely. Um, But they do have several things that they a lot of value that they provide. Number one is they tend to step into risks that are are new frontier. Right, where most insurance companies would kind of want to see the claims, see how it plays out, adjust their prices. They kind of step in really quick. They also can pivot very quickly with regard to a rate perspective, and they can also customize their forms. The only difference, though, is they don't want to renew you next year. They don't have to. Right? So that's, kind of the, that's a, I think, a simple version of the access and surplus lines market. It's kind of a, a parallel market that exists next to the admitted market. Is it a who's handling that? Those big four? Who's handling that? Those big four? So, well, well, we've got no. Well, yes. Sorry, yes. Uh, they have. A little bit. Right. So, you know, it. You can have uh, an insurance company can be admitted, say, in the state of Connecticut. They can also have what's called a non-admitted option, which again is 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 the ENS is the excess and surplus lines market.
1: Is it analogous analogous to the conventional mortgage and jumbo mortgage? Conventional, if it meets all the criteria, can be sold to Fannie and Freddie. Jumbo is really sold into the balance sheets of investor pools and big banks and not quite so regulated. And therefore, you have
3: jumbo rate and you have the conventional rate. If, well how about this I'll take it a step further and I'm not a mortgage person so don't don't kill me if this analogy isn't great it might be more like a, a conventional mortgage and a hard money lender right where they're kind of like you know yeah. let's say mortgage rates are at five percent but you don't qualify for the mortgage because your credit score maybe you're a 10.99 right so you got to go to the hard money guy and he's like yeah I'll give you a mortgage and you're like oh thank god he's like 15 percent and you're like I'm sorry what but it's kind of a bridge, right? And that's really sometimes what the ENS market is. It's a bridge where certain risks go to kind of rehabilitate for a couple of years, then they come back to the admitted. Is market.
1: that and what was, we're seeing in Florida with most of the insurers pulling out? Is most a lot of the insurance is now ENS?
3: You're seeing it all across the country, John. It's it's
2: moving yeah. up. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's Hilton Head is now exclusively ENS. Okay, yeah. it's it's uh, Coastal Connecticut is. That's my point. Is it's shifting to ENS, and part of our education as risk managers with clients, and by the way, with the tip of the spear referral partners like you guys, is to make sure that you know that to to work on an ENS policy, it takes a little bit longer. And so I have a client more, in, in, in. I have a client
1: selling in Stanford, and he said, "Yeah, I'm looking around in Hilton Head. I'm looking in Palmetto Bluffs," and I thought, "Oh, that's inland." That's not going to be a high risk. Are, are we starting to see that you don't have to be exclusively, you don't have to be on the water to be considered
3: coastal, right? It's, it's all over the country, John. It's everywhere. Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Vermont, and so
1: Palmetto yeah. Bluffs, deep, in, deep inland at Hilton Head, is still an ENS it kind of market. Be.
3: It could be. Okay. Yeah. It could be, right? And, and, and there could be several different factors. Right. And, and again, I'm not, I just want to make sure because I'm, I'm, I am a big fan of the excess and surplus lines market, right. For the high net worth space. It's, it's not always the penalty box that everyone makes it out to be right. They're kind of the insurer, the insurance market. That's kind of stepping up as everyone's pulling out. Are they yeah. charging a higher premium? Yes, they are, but they're there. Right. And that's yeah. normally what they do. They're kind of the safety valve the admitted market when the admitted market for whatever reasons can't absorb or doesn't want to absorb all of the risks in a specific area region or state
1: you keep talking about the four who are the four and who the four are the
3: who left the four that are left uh, the four that are left right you've got and I try, always try to do it alphabetically because we love our insurance companies all the same right so we've got Berkeley one Chubb Cincinnati and pure they're really the four that are are kind of left per se right we've we've lost aig has kind of they're converting to what's called a managing general agent they've changed their name to uh, private client select services i think um nationwide private client has exited uh vault they're going more towards kind of, i think kind of the mga or the more of a just a non-admitted uh, carrier only for for property risks um so we're really down to the four now
1: and that's all uh that's in the traditional mortgage uh, uh sorry traditional insurance and the ENS market or is yeah. ENS got more players
3: well all of the admitted options are trying to have non-admitted options because they don't want to lose the customer just because it might be a coastal risk they might be a great customer so they like let's say Chubb for example right let's say Chubb doesn't want to write what's called say a non non elevated home in West Hampton Beach, right? Meaning the first floor is below the base flood elevation. Right? So they don't they, that doesn't fit their underwriting guidelines anymore. But they like the they like the house, it's a great client. They'll put it into the non-admitted side and they might change some of their policy wording or at least it gives them flexibility to raise rates without having to go to the state to to get approval.
2: Yeah, but but that's a very unique situation for somebody who owns a primary home in New York City or Connecticut and has a secondary home. Um, those four carriers who who have the non-admitted offering aren't exactly stumbling over each other to win your business. They're kind of, in my view, doing it as, as a supplemental um, offering for the account. So I personally think that there are a ton, not a ton, but a large handful of other not admitted carriers who are quite good options. And the interesting part about these not admitted um, policies is that they can be curated almost to, to what you're looking for. You can add and take away more than you could with a traditional policy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so they don't have their forms filed with the state. We have only Chris, five minutes to go. So yeah. I want to make I want sure we we quick, cover quick, everything. Quick.
0: I have a quick question. That example you used of the house in uh, Hurricane Michael or whatever, and it was like standing because it was built to the certain codes. Does the insurance company look at that like we're, the likelihood we're going to have to do something to this house is less likely so the premium's less or is that if something actually does happen to this house, it's going to be really expensive so the premium's got to be higher? What's Oof. the What's the approach?
3: Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> no, and, and you make, no, because you make a good point, right? I think <laughs> I think the 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 availability right of insurers to that home is greater right the cost to reconstruct it still might be greater also right so let's say because it's up to code because it's positively elevated because they have you know basically missile proof windows right yeah all four carriers were like yeah we'd love to insure this home is it going to be Super inexpensive. I don't think so because again, those missile-resistant um, windows—they're not cheap, right? The the, the shingles, the, the 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 you know the wood, everything. It is more expensive to build a home like that. And again, property and casualty insurance is based off of reconstruction cost, not market value or appraised or assessed, right? Yeah. So. I, I, I hope that it wasn't kind of a cop-out answer, Roberto. I, I, get it. Answer. I totally get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs>
1: yeah. so, so we've only got a few minutes left. Sure. I want to forward-looking. Uh, we've done analysis on the situation. Now I want your advice. I'm looking at Sam. Sam's watching, his friend of mine. I know that Sam lives on the water. He's not yeah. going to go construct a new house with bulletproof windows. But what can Sam do on the water in Darien? To lower his insurance rates going forward, nice. I mean, you've already said he should be shopping his. He should be shopping every two to three years uh, the carriers to see if there's an opportunity because they because there's always one looking for market share, but maybe not this year. <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I don't think it exists. I think I would ask Sam, right? And I'd say, Sam, listen. Well, number one, you know, what's your risk tolerance, right? Are you the kind of person that says, yeah, you know what? I, I can financially absorb uh, a claim up to a certain dollar amount. Or he might be like, listen, I have a claim. I don't want to pay anything. So there's there's a lot more parts to it, right? Risk tolerance. We could also look and say, okay, you know what? What What is it that you want to rebuild? What do you want to protect? Okay. What is it that, you know, do you want the broadest coverage? Do you, or do you just want it more of a streamlined policy? right? That's kind of the stuff. I definitely would look to be more proactive, right? The best claims, the one you don't have, does he have water, you know, water shutoff device? Does he have, you know, fire, central fire, you know, fire and burglar alarm? You know, there's a lot of risk mitigation that can be done, you know, whether the credits are enough to, to make him you know, implement, I don't know. Are people like saying people on the water raising their houses? Is that, is that common? I I I li- well, we live in a neighborhood in Norwalk right on the water and and there's one house that's on stilts right now. There's another guy that's chomping at the bit. They've got all the plans done. Um I anticipate all the houses in the neighborhood are going to have to be lifted uh eventually.
2: Yeah. Because what calm. sort of it's expense is that? What sort
3: it's of exp- I mean a 100, 120 minimum. Mm-hmm. Oh, I okay. Nick, I think you you're 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 light. Yeah. Okay. It's it's okay. expensive. So, now I so think could- Before we hop off though, I do want to say You can you can can raise
2: equipment, you can rate you can move the equipment from the basement to the first floor. I mean, that's that right there is a is an affordable way to perhaps make your house at least more attractive to a carrier.
0: Let's can we just we were talking about doing some predictions. One of the things, the first prediction, and it goes back to the chart that John put up there about homeowners insurance, et cetera, it was a pretty uniform rise of that, that curve, that red line curve, except, that, except at uh, except that, like COVID, there's a little hitch, but it's pretty uniformly going up. I wonder what that percentage is. And you had said that you feel that the industry is actually going to reprice, which I get, but so it'll reprice, meaning it's going to go up. But does that curve become steeper or does it go up, reprice, and then flatten? In your prediction and your estimation, based upon what you had said,
2: so my view is that um, the last two years have been pretty extreme in terms of uh, pricing rate of change. I think the rate of change flattens out. I don't know if if you're with the same carrier forever. If they'll ever lower a price, you know, other than making some of the adjustments we've spoken about, Um, but. But as capacity comes back into the system, it becomes more of a, you know, a perfect market system. Then you might find um, the reshopping is actually helpful to lower pricing without sacrificing quality. But so, I, I, I personally
0: don't think I personally don't think prices are going to go down. I just think that the curve might is the curve. You know, if if we've been going up at say six percent per year, yeah. which is whatever that is, pretty uniform. Are we going to start looking at eight? Nine percent increases per year, or is it going to just go up and then kind of flatten back out to six five percent?
2: The rate of change, in my view, will be less dramatic than the last two years.
3: I, I think we're I think we're going to get a flattening. I think the elasticity of 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 a consumer kind of gets to a point where they just say, "I can't." Right? You can raise prices, I can't do it. So, what I think you're going to see is probably restrictions of coverage. You know, things are going to get dialed back. On the coverage side, right? And you're going to have maybe like, you know, again, we had the introduction of wind hail deductibles or, or proliferation of wind hail deductibles, you know, in and around, you know, Hurricane Sandy, where there's going to be more, more cost sharing on the consumer side. That's how the, the prices will moderate on the back end. Yeah.
2: And we're seeing that right yeah. now. I mean, they're actually wanting you to have more skin in the game, right? Yeah. So, so uh, I, I'm pricing policies right now that don't want to um, give liability coverage to a swimming pool. They'll, they love the house. They love you. They just don't like the pool. Right.
3: But I, so I think you're going to see a moderation. Moving
2: the, they're moving like, they're kind of like thimble riggers. They're just kind of moving the shells around.
3: Yeah. yeah. Who, who uh, knew that we could have so much fun talking about insurance? <laughs> 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 I know. I, mean, can, I feel like yes. we can go for another two hours. Like, imagine so sexy. John and John and Roberto, imagine being married to me, like my poor wife, <laughs> my 14-year-old daughter. Like, this is what they have to live with. I mean, my five-year-old is kind of like starting to roll her eyes at me. But like, we can make this fun, right, guys? Insurance can be fun and educational. And, and I do, on, on a kidding note, I do want to try to empower education and empower uh, clients and, and fellow advisors because it, it, it is important. All right.
1: I want to thank you both. My guests, Christopher yes. Martens, Nicholas Phillips, thank you so much. If you like the show, Thanks, please guys. share it. Like it. Give us a review. Next week, we're in London for episode 124 with our friends from Night, Frank, Laura dam Villena, and Ed Hopkinson. So we're in London next week. Uh, but I can't imagine that being any more exciting than insurance. Thank you both. This has been <laughs> Thanks,
2: awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Burrows and Burbs. We hope we've given you some strategies you can apply in your own real estate journey. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.